Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. Church, those of us who are joining online, uh, we are glad you're with us. Wish we could be physically together, but we know the circumstances, we know the situation, the things that are going on. My name is Walter. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Word Baptist Church, and we're going to be getting into to God's Word together. It's always a privilege for me uh, to be here sharing God's Word. Uh, I, I, I feel blessed to be able to open this up to you today. Lord, this is really my offering to the Lord, first and foremost. This is my act of worship, and, and I pray that you would worship with us as well during this time, Lord, that you would hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today's message is going to be found in Matthew chapter 6. It's going to be Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be talking about a very familiar passage to some of you guys, a very familiar subject, but something that I think that really, if we're honest with ourselves we sometimes don't really know that much about or do that much. We, we know about it in Christian circles. We, we talk about it. Uh, we know we're supposed to do it. We know we should be doing it on a, consistently, on a consistent basis. And so the thing I'm going to be talking about is prayer. Prayer. And something I, I love to ask people, to, I ask them, uh, how essential is prayer? Or is prayer important? And, and I love the responses that I get back because a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, prayer is important. So then I ask, well, how important is prayer? And the majority of people will say, it's, it's vital, it's life, it's, it's my lifeblood, it's all these things. And then I love this follow-up question, do you pray? And a lot of times we're like, yeah, yeah, I pray. Of course I pray. And then we're like, how much do we pray and if we're honest with ourselves, uh, nine times out of ten, the people that I talk to, even, even myself, I'm, I can be guilty of this, uh, we would almost a knee-jerk reaction say, I don't pray enough. And so one of the things that I believe, and really at the, the heart of it, is sometimes we just don't really know what, what prayer is, or we don't really value it sometimes, like we say that we do. And and really, I remember even in my own life, at the very beginning, I didn't know how to pray. It was one of those things that my, my first sincere, true prayer was a prayer of asking God to forgive me, asking Him to take control of my life, giving my life to Him as Lord and Savior, saying, I, I, I'm all in. I, I don't know how better to, to do this, but here, take my life. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. And then it started from there. See, prayer, sometimes if we, if we ask these questions, and I, and I come across a lot of these questions too, and sometimes as, as mature believers, we don't ask these questions because we're like, hey, I'm supposed to know how to pray. I'm supposed to know what it is. 
But I love some of the feedback that I get from a lot of people of asking me these questions. And, and we're going to dig into some of these. Like, why do we pray? What's the point of prayer? If God knows everything, why should I pray? Do I pray out loud? Do I pray in my heart? Is it just my thoughts? Is that what prayer is? Do I, do I need to pray kneeling? Do I fold my hands? Do I close my eyes? Do I bow my head? Do I keep my eyes open? Do I raise my... All of these things can be questions that we ask. How long is long enough in prayer? And sometimes we just need somebody to, to show us that because prayer at its heart is communication. And, and all communication, prayer included, is a learned behavior. And we pick up on this. So prayer, really, if you want a good definition of what prayer is, prayer is communication with God the Father through a reconciled relationship made possible in Jesus Christ, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering what prayer is, that's in a nutshell what prayer is. It's, it's communication with God the Father in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at one of the greatest people we can look at to learn how to pray, Jesus Christ. In, in Luke's gospel, the disciples came to Jesus because they saw him pray consistently. They saw him go alone to pray. They heard him pray. They heard the relationship that he had with the Father. They, they took note that his prayers always got answered. And, and naturally, people were like, hey, we want to pray like that. So the disciples came to Jesus and they asked this question. Really, it was more of a request. Lord, teach us to pray. They recognized we need help. We want to pray like that. And so today we're going to be looking at not Luke 11 where they asked this question, Lord, teach us to pray. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15 to see our Lord Jesus Christ teaching us how to pray. And of course, there's lots of other passages that Jesus deals with prayer. We get to see his model prayer, really the prayer that he prayed for us in John 17. So you can go throughout the Bible to find out about prayer. But today we're just going to be looking at these short 10 verses that are packed with a whole lot. So I'm going to read through this. And then we're going to break it down into to four points that Jesus is really trying to get across to us here. But I'm going to read it through one time, and then we're going to go back through and, and really dissect how do we pray. So I hope you've got your Bibles at home, or maybe you're just scrolling through right now, or maybe you're just waiting for the screens to pop, I mean, the, the words to pop up on the screen. Uh, so I'm going to read this. I strongly urge you to read, to listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to go forward with what do we do and how do we pray? So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, Jesus says these words, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray. Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, and when you pray, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, 
for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your, heavenly, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into what did Jesus just say to us? How do, we, how do we put this into practice? So I'm going to look first right here at this first thing that Jesus really wants us to understand when we're going to him in prayer is our motivation for prayer. Because we know and we should know this, that God sees the heart. He sees our motivation. So that's where Jesus starts is this question. And if you want to know what is my motivation, why am I praying, ask yourself that question. Why am I praying? Why am I praying? So Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 6, Jesus says it this way, right? When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, these actors, right? Putting on masks. Don't be like them, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Look at the two places right here where they pray. If we want to contemporize that a little bit, if Jesus was talking to us today, he would say, hey, don't be like the hypocrites, the pretenders. Don't, don't come in playing the game. Don't, don't, don't stand up here to, to do this because they love to stand and they pray in the churches and they stand and pray in the street corners. And if you're wondering, really, because the street corners were the most visible spot outside, right? People could see me coming from this way, from that way, from this way, from that way, right? I was the most visible person right there. He's like, hey, don't, don't do that. Their motivation right here, to be seen by men. To, to, to really, their motivation, and there's something deep within us, right, that we want people to see how great we are, right? And they, they were no different. They were like, hey, we want men's applause for men's attention for our 15 minutes of fame. That was what they were seeking. And Jesus says, you know what? That reward that they get, that's all they're going to get. Is men's attention for five minutes before they move on to something else. But here's the antidote, right? He says this in verse six. He's like, hey, don't be like that. But here, you want to know? But when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. He says, hey, you want to know the antidote to that? Obscurity. Go, go someplace where nobody sees you pray. Then pray, and your Father who sees you in secret, right, will reward you, right? The antidote, obscurity. The reward, God's applause. Closeness with God that lasts eternity, right? That is the reward. So what he's not saying, and I'm going to make this statement right here. What Jesus is not saying is he's not saying is the only time you can pray and God receive it is if you're alone by yourself where no one hears you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if, if you're prideful, if you're a hypocrite, if you're wanting people to see you, man, just keep it to yourself. It's better to go in there and pray because 
Sometimes we do need to pray in public. Jesus himself, right? And this is how I know, because Jesus prayed out loud. In Matthew chapter 11, we see Jesus praying in front of a multitude of people. We, we see Jesus taking his close friends, Peter, James, and John, aside in the garden and say, hey, pray with me for a while, right? So we see him praying. We also see Solomon pray at the dedication of the temple, right? In front of the entire nation, we see Daniel pray with the windows open. That's what got him thrown into the lion's den. We see people throughout scripture praying in public, praying for people. But here's a question we can ask ourselves. If we are praying out loud, if we are praying with others, if we are praying in public, we should ask ourselves a couple of questions. Why am I doing this, right? But am I doing this to sound good? So if I'm praying in front of other people, ask myself and, I, and ask yourselves, am I doing this to sound good? Am I doing this to sound impressive or, or really super spiritual or really smart, right? Sometimes we do this, right? We, we, we can hear it. We, we throw in some King James English in there. We, we don't talk like that. But now all of a sudden I'm praying and, Lord, we beseech thee that thine glory would be made manifest about, you know, I mean, we, we pray these things, and we're like, what, where did that even come from? Or we can pray, Lord, like I was reading in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology on page 676 last night, that in pneumatology, right, we can, we can pray so people think, man, that guy is smart, right? So ask ourselves, if we're praying to sound good, second, we can ask ourselves, who am I speaking to? When I'm praying in public, who am I speaking to? Am I, am I speaking to God or am I speaking to men? And you can tell pretty quickly, like when you start, when you go from talking to God to talking about God. Or am I praying to God or am I praying to myself? And Jesus told this parable, this parable, this story in Luke chapter 18 about a hypocrite, a Pharisee who went to pray in the temple, right? He gave two examples. He said there was a Pharisee and there was a tax collector, which everybody hated, right? He said these two men went into the, or to the temple to pray. And the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? So the Pharisee was over here, and it literally says in, in Luke chapter 17, we're not going to look at it, but if you want to read this later on, I highly recommend it, right? He said the Pharisee came in, stood, and prayed this to himself. God, I thank you. I am not like other men, right? Like, like sinners or swindlers or adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all I get, right? And the, the, the tax collector, he didn't even look up, right? He, he couldn't even look up to God, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that that man, the, the tax collector, went home to his house justified. For whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So the Pharisee, his motivation for praying was to make himself feel better, better than somebody else. His reward eventually was going to be humiliation. The tax collector, his motivation was, God, have mercy. His, his, his approach was humbleness, and his reward, justification, a right relationship with God. He, he went home. God said, this, this, this person right here is good. So we have all these different motivations. So when we come to God first, we need to look at what is my motivation for praying? Why am I praying? Second, we see this. 
And I'm just going to say it this way, because God knows what we need. Jesus, in number two of our, our second point here, he says, persistence, not repetition in prayer. Persistence, not repetition in prayer. So the second question we can ask ourselves when we're praying, we can ask, how am I praying? First one is, why am I praying? Second, how am I praying? Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says this, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. If you got your Bible out, just circle meaningless right there. Because that's, that's the key word in this thing. Don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words, right? Don't, don't, don't do that. How many of you guys know that somebody can say a whole lot of stuff and, and really be talking about nothing? Because of their many words, right? This is what he's talking about here. Don't, it, it rings hollow. It's empty. You, you can say a lot and not say anything at all. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, don't, don't do that. Don't be like that guy, right? Because, because you think because I'm saying a whole lot of stuff, then God's going to take note of me. He's like, no, God knows what you need before you ask. Don't be like lost people. Or if I just say God's name enough and many times, and if I say it 300 times in a row, maybe he's going to hear me. No, don't, don't do that. He knows. Meaningless repetition, right? And sometimes we, we can be guilty of this too, right? Sometimes we're just praying because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm about to eat a meal, so I'm supposed to pray, right? We, we get into this habit too, right? We're like, um, God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. Right? Or we can say things like, um, uh, for what we're about to see, we are thankful. Or, Lord, please bless this food and the hands that prepared it. Right? I, I don't know why we stop at the hands that prepared the food and not the whole person. Right? We, we get into this pattern. Sometimes I've been guilty of this. Too. I've been so tired. And I just start praying. And then I'm like, Lord, thank you for this food. And I'm like, I'm not even about to eat. Right? We, we can get into this routine of, this is what I'm supposed to pray and not think anything about what we're praying. So one question you can ask yourself, do I sincerely believe what I'm saying right now? Do, do I really? Because if I don't, it's meaningless repetition. So get to the, the heart of this. And this is some good news right here, because some of us think that we got to spend hours and many, many words to get God's attention. For us, this is good news because if we're time starved right now and we're like, I, don't, I just don't have enough time to do all this kind of stuff. He's like, hey, take heart. You can have a great conversation with somebody in 15 minutes. And I've, I've had that with people and we can do that with God too, right? When we're just real with him. Though Jesus does still want quality time with us, right? I mean, even when, when Peter, James, and John got pulled aside in the garden, he's like, hey, can't you keep watch with me at least for one hour? Right? Can't, can't you pray with me for one hour? Right? So don't, don't, don't hear me say that, okay, God's going to be fine with just my five minutes and that's it. I, I'm done for the day. Right? I mean, he expects us to have a vibrant relationship with him. A, a way of thinking about it like, is like this. If, if you're married out there, right, just kind of make this correlation in your mind. If, if the amount of time I spend in prayer correlates to the amount of time I talk to my wife, how great is my relationship with my spouse? I'll say it one more time, right? How, if I correlate the two, 
if the amount of time I spend in prayer with God, if I spend that same amount of time and attention in conversation with my wife, how great is my relationship with her? So when we're talking about this, we're talking about a relationship, not just a, hey, I'm going to throw something at you. And here's some things, because I told you good news for time-starved people, right? Sometimes I'll just kind of give you a little bit of what my relationship, my communication is with my wife, and I'm going to bring that into how we can come before the Lord as well. You know, I'm not always at a place where I can spend hours of conversation with her, right? But I can send her a text message throughout the day. I can send a little note, or I can give a quick five-minute call. And then when I get home, I've got this... Undivided time, what I, what I do is I, I take my phone out, I put it on the table. I don't watch TV. We, we just, I have undivided time with her. Now, we could be cooking. We could be taking care of things. We could be busy doing life and necessary things, but we're talking the whole time. Brother Lawrence wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. That's basically the, the whole meat of what he's saying is while we're going about through our daily routine, we can still be in fellowship and communion with God. Now, we do need time where we can set aside and and hear from him, and we should. But if we ever get to a point where we say, I'm bored, then we have time to pray. A lot of times we, we kill ourselves with this. Three to four minutes of screen time here, I mean, three to four hours of screen time here, three to four hours of TV time. And we're like, I don't have time to talk to God. If I did that with my wife, I would be out on the street pretty quick. So persistence, right? Just because I prayed something, and people ask this a lot of times is, if I pray something and then I ask for it again, does that mean I don't have enough faith? And that's not what he's saying, because Jesus says again, and in, in Luke 17 is like, he's saying, uh, we should continue to pray. Luke 18, sorry, the persistent widow right? Who keeps coming to the judge over and over again, right? And, he, and in Jesus's parable, he says, will the Son of Man find such faith? So just because we pray for something persistently doesn't mean that we have less faith than the person who prays one time and walks away and says, oh, I gave it to the Lord. So he expects it. Third, I, I, I want to get to this Because this is really a meat of what Jesus is saying here. He gives us this template for prayer. And the sad thing is, sometimes we've turned this template for prayer into meaningless repetition, something that we just say without thinking about it. And I don't want us to do that here. And so when you ask yourself, um, am I doing that? Just ask, what am I praying? Focus on this. And I'm going to read this, but I'm going to give you two things to look for when we read this. This is a model, not necessarily to repeat. It's okay to repeat if we think about what we're actually saying, right? And number two, I want you to look at the pronouns used in this passage. The pronouns meaning he uses us, our, we, instead of I, me, and my, right? So you can pray for yourself, but include other people in this too. So we're going to go through this. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Right? So here's something he's saying. He's like, hey, before you rush into prayer with with your list of things, 
First, we need to recognize who are we talking to? And I love this because this whole thing, this whole passage forces us to look, who are we talking to? Right? We, we see this in here. We see him as father. We see him as holy. We see him as king. We see him as provider, redeemer, deliverer, almighty. We, we see him as that. And then it forces us to focus on who we are in light of that. We are his children, children under his authority, dependent, indebted, in need of guidance and protection. We owe all to him. So as we go through this prayer, it is packed with a whole lot. We, we look at a higher view of God and a lesser view of us the farther down this prayer we go. At first, we're like, hey, Father in heaven, we're his children. This should blow us away. It did for the first century Jews who heard it. In fact, they picked up stones and tried to kill Jesus for saying it. This is something we shouldn't, that you, the God of the universe, if, if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, he gives us right to be called children of God. This is not a fleshly children of, of this like blood and flesh, right? He gives us the right to be relatable to him as children to a good father. And the second thing he says, holy or hallowed be your name. It's like your name is set apart from all the others. You are not like anyone or anything else. You are far above that. And it makes us look at this. We are not like him. We're his children. We are under him. We are not like him. He is holy. He goes on from that and says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not only a father, he is king who is reigning. And this portion right here says, Lord, really, I'm under your authority. I want your rule, your reign in my life now. Take control of me. I want to respond. I want to obey just like the angels do in heaven. When you give the command, Lord, let me respond to you as quickly and as intently as they do. Lord, take my life. Let me be under your control. And it, it takes another dig at us, right? It means not only are we a child, not only are we not like him, but we are not our own. We are under his authority. And then it moves on a little bit further. He says this, give us our, this day, our daily bread, right? He is our provider. Though we work, everything comes from him. He is our source. He is our security. We have our responsibility in this too, to work, but without, without him, we have nothing. We are dependent on him. And really, he's praying right here. He's like, hey, pray for need, not for greed. It's like, give us this day our daily bread, right? Move on to this. He says this, and this is what really starts to trip us up in the prayer. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And now we take a step back from this prayer and we're like, okay. See, really sin is a debt owed to God. We have racked up fines and we owe restitution that we can never pay off. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he came and said, it is finished, paid in full. He and he alone is sufficient to pay our debts. We cannot. We owe God everything. But Jesus says, hey, if you want, I'll pay that off for you, and I will forgive your debt. And, but here's the clause, right? Here's the thing that trips us up. It's a double-edged sword, and we say right here, forgive as we have forgiven. 
Now, how many of you right now, we're all like, yeah, we need grace. We need God to forgive us. But how many of you right now would pray this prayer in sincerity? Lord, forgive me to the extent that I have forgiven other people. And I want you to let that sink in for just a second of what Jesus is saying here. Because we know how others hurt us. We know how others have wronged us. We tend to not see how we have wronged others, and we for sure don't see how we owe God. But when we finally realize how much we have been forgiven by him on the cross, it puts us in a better position to know how we can forgive others for a wrong done to us. He moves on from there. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I'm just going to hit this really quickly. Uh, God is not a tempter. He cannot tempt us, right? He, in fact, is our deliverer. So what this is saying is not really God. Are you going to tempt us? That's not what he's saying here. He's basically saying, hey, when we get thrown into temptation, God, do not let us succumb to that. Lord, provide a way out. Rescue us. Deliver us. And until we see that we are weak and in need of rescue, we don't come to this part of the prayer of saying, God, help me. Give me that. Provide a way out and let me see it. And that's what he's saying here, Lord, deliver me. And then he finishes with this great doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is basically saying he is able and he is in control. He is almighty and we owe him everything. It's all his. And so in this, this last part right here, he says, amen. And I love this. It's not a tagline. It's not something to add to it. What amen literally means is it is done, right? He has heard it, so be it. It ends with expectation, faith, that he has heard my cry, and he is going to do something about it. A lot of times we can just toss up a prayer and be like, Lord, if you're there, if you can hear me, uh, if you're there, uh, could you do something about this, right? And not really fully expect anything in return, like, ah, well, I gave it a shot, right? That's not what amen signifies. Amen says, I know it. He heard me. He loves me. He's a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. That's what amen really means. Number four, I'm going to go through this just because it bears repeating, at least Jesus thought so, and he said it in Matthew, uh, just in case we still struggle with that middle part of this prayer. Forgiveness affects prayer. Our relationships with other people affects our prayer with God. You may be thinking, okay, right? I'm just going to read it right here. He says, for if, this is 14 and 15, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you, your transgressions. And so let me unpack this for just a little bit, because sometimes we can get really tripped up what this is not saying, he's not talking about salvation. That's not what this passage is. He's not saying you have to earn your salvation. As salvation is a free gift, a gift of grace by God for those who believe in him. Right? We talked about it just a little while ago. We, we can't earn credit for his grace. Then it's not grace. It is, it is freely given to all who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to pay off our debt. That his debt, his death 
on the cross for our death, our debt is the great substitution. That he died the debt that we should have paid. And he gives us the life that we should have lived. And he's giving this great substitution. He's like, I'll take your guilt, your shame, your debt, and I'm going to give you my life, my righteousness, my goodness. That, that's the exchange. When we believe that he died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, proving that he is who he said he is, proving his payment was acceptable on our behalf. In his death, we have forgiveness. In his life, we have new life in him. That's the gospel. When we believe and we give our life to him as Lord, to follow him as king. So that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about our salvation. What he's talking about is a right relationship with God. If you, you can have a great relationship with somebody and you do something against them and it causes a rift in the relationship. You still have the relationship, but there's still something wrong. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and you think, okay, well, how does my non-forgiveness of other people affect my relationship with him? Think of it like siblings fighting. Right? Or if I come to the Father, and, and any of you who are parents out there, if, if someone says, hey, I'm cool with you, I just can't stand your child. Well, you're going to have a problem with that person. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like you too, but that's my child. Or if you're not, if you have a spouse out there, if you don't have children, it's like, I, I, man, I'm cool with you, I just I hate your wife or your, your husband. Right? I mean, we've got problems. We're not going to gel. And so think of it like kids fighting in a household, right? It affects the parent's relationship with the child. And so what he's saying here is this, right? And this is really the, the hard part of forgiveness. Because we feel like we're letting them off the hook if we forgive them. We feel like they're getting away with it. And so make no mistake at all, right? They will have to answer to God Almighty. Right? It's the Heavenly Father's job to discipline or punish the children, right? So they're going to have to stand before him, and he can do a much better job than we can, right? Forgiveness is not giving them license to do it again or pretending that it's no big deal. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness ultimately is releasing the debt that they owe to you and handing it over for God to collect, you're basically turning, turning them over to the collection agency, right? You're releasing the debt they owe to you and handing it over to God to collect. That's what he says, forgive our debts as we are forgiven our debtors, right? I mean, those indebted to us, right? That's what he's saying. So forgiveness is not even reconciliation. Forgiveness is not forgetting, right? Forgiveness is a destination and a process. It's where he wants us to be. And we personally need our Heavenly Father's continual forgiveness to maintain a healthy, a vibrant relationship, one with great and open communication, and that's what He wants. That's what He wants for you. That's what He wants for all of us. First, to be His child. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, you're not in this. Right? I told you my first prayer was my prayer to Christ to save me. So he gets us into this conversation. And then he wants to continue it to deepen that relationship. And so one of the things that, that I want to close wholeheart, close right now, um, we're, we're going to come before the king together. And we don't really know too much about kings here in America, right? 
Um, you, you don't come before the king empty-handed, even though it's a great song, right? We, we come before him with the one and only thing that he desires, us, all of us, unconditionally, us. To do and give him wholeheartedly our heart, our obedience. So what we're going to do, it'd be a shame if we just talked about prayer this whole time and not really pray. So you guys at home, I, I don't want you to check out just yet, right? This is not the end of our service. This doesn't mean, hey, now it's time to put the phone down and, and go finish making breakfast or lunch or anything like that. This is, this is a time, a holy moment to stay in with what we're about to do. Because really, this, this more than anything else, I've just been telling you how we're going to pray this whole time. So here's a time where we're actually going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And what I'm, what I'm not saying is, I'm, I'm not saying repeat after me, our Father, and you say our Father. That's not what I'm going to do. But what we're going to do is look at the heart of what he's trying to get us to understand and pray. So I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. I, I'm going to say the first thing, this is what we pray. And then you at home, you, you guys here, you, you all in the trailer, right? I want you to spend the next minute praying this and I will close this round of prayer each time. So we've got seven different things we're going to pray because that's what we see in this scripture, right? Seven different things. And so I'm going to give you guys the time at home. I'll close that time of prayer, and then we'll move to the next section. All right, so the very first thing we're going to pray together, I want you to focus on who you are talking to. We're talking to our Father in heaven, holy and set apart. Spend the next minute focusing on who God is, calling on his name, praying to him, realizing who he is. Lord, you are magnificent. You are holy. There is none like you, and yet you give us the right to call you Father. Lord, let us be blown away in awe of you, of just this opportunity to come before the almighty creator of heaven and earth in this moment, Lord, we pray we would see you as you are, high and lifted up, our heavenly Father. Continue in prayer 
but I want you to think of our King. The second part of this. Focus on our King. And you can say something like this if you want to. Our King, please help us follow you perfectly as they do in heaven. Right now, pray for God to show you where you need to submit to his will. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us, O King. Lord, that we would be quick to hear your word, your voice, and quick to respond. Lord, give us a sense of urgency to be pleasing to you, a sense of urgency to make your name known, a sense of urgency to follow hard after you. Lord, may we be obedient to you and your call. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to spend time just looking to God as our provider, as the one from whom all things come. So you can say something like this, our, our provider, Lord, please help meet our needs. And spend this time just praying for God to meet your needs. Lord, you know the difficulties that we face. Lord, you, you know the challenges. Lord, you, you know what we need better than, than we even know what we need. But Lord, we, we need you now, Lord, to provide for us 
our daily bread, our, our provision from you, Lord, please help and give us what we need today. And we'll trust you for tomorrow when it comes. In Jesus' name. Next comes the hard part. Our Redeemer, please forgive us. And first, I want you to pray for God to show you who you need to forgive and to give you the grace to do it. So we're going to spend a minute and just pray for God to show you who you need to forgive and the grace to forgive them. Lord, this, this is a hard one. And Lord, may, may you help us, not just today, but to continually forgive. Lord, when, when that person's face comes to mind or when, that, when the enemy tries to tempt us to fall back into to anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to forgive, to hand over the debt that they owe us and hand it to you. Lord, because you, you forgave us. And Lord, we know that ultimately one day they are going to stand before you and have to give an account. For every word carelessly spoken for the deeds and things that they have done, Lord, that, that you, you are the one they owe not us. Help us to forgive. In Jesus' name. And the second part is ask God to forgive you for things in your life that have not honored Him. And be specific. Not just a, Lord, if I've ever done anything wrong, please wash over those things too. But pray during this time for God to forgive things that you know about. Let's pray.
Lord, we, we thank you for your grace, for your word, which is true, Lord, that we can know that we have forgiveness in you. Lord, when we confess our sins to you, you're, you're faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. I pray you would restore any relationship, Lord, that you would restore the communication between us, Lord, that you would forgive us this day. In Jesus' name. Next, we look to God as our deliverer. And whatever trial or, or temptation you may be going through right now, pray to your deliverer to please help you overcome temptation and the evil in our lives. You, you can pray for the struggle that you're in right now. Let's pray. Lord, we are weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Lord. And we live carrying this dead man around with us in a fallen world, in a world that tries to tempt. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the way that you have provided out of temptation. Lord, that we would run to you, that we would flee from immorality, Lord, that we would run and pursue you and righteousness, Lord. I pray that you would be our focus and not the things of this world, Lord. Help us, deliver us, rescue us from evil. In Jesus' name. And last, we come to God as the Almighty. And just pray Please help us to, to rest in his strength, to rest in his ability. And I want you to pray for faith, to trust him, and, and spend time giving him praise this last minute. Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory of now and forevermore. There is none like you. 
Your arm is not short to save. Lord, you and you alone are our hope, our promise, our deliverer, our good Father. And we thank you that you are almighty. We owe everything to you, Lord. And I pray you would help us to rest in your peace, to rest in your promise, to rest in your strength and ability and not our own. Because, Lord, we look to you from where our help comes from, maker of heaven and earth. You don't sleep, you don't slumber. You watch over us. We rest in you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray this in your son, Jesus Christ. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.